How do the devils know that I'm an asshole? What? How would the devils know that I'm an asshole? We're on episode 800 of the show. I'm a fruity guy. Really? You're going to stick your finger up a kid's ass? Yeah, <laughs> what kind of guy are you? So, uh, you know. <laughs> Tell him, Steve Dave. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Tell Him Steve Dave. I am here with B to the Q, W to the F, and B to the J. Yeah. What's up, boys? How much? What's going on? Yeah, looking good. You're, you're uh, going a little lighter with the masks these days. No cloth for you. Uh, this is um, the difference between the protective difference between this mask and the mask I normally wear is like 5%. I didn't want to be late today. So I just mm. I grabbed the closest one. I figured I could risk the 5% the five it brings with you guys. I had not known that there was um, masks that were less protective than other masks yeah the n95 masks are, are like the the ones that that they recommend using because they have like the filtration that's that's really good so is there a difference between like the mask i'm wearing right now which is a cloth mask as opposed to you have almost like a paper one on well this is the one they use in hot like the medical yeah, like yeah. The surgeon masks uh yeah there is but but those are good these are good those are good yeah a- anything anything yeah. is good but that those are good no um i hadn't thought of this before but do you guys um are you secretly judging me because I'm not wearing a mask? Because both you guys have masks on. Do you feel like I should be wearing one? Uh, well, in this room, I try not to worry about it because if you don't want to wear one and I'm wearing one, it's, you know, what am I going to mm. do? Uh, We're like three feet apart. Yeah, I, I don't know. I wish I, I wish you would take it a little more seriously in general, but you, yeah. you have that thing in you where you don't like being told what to do. And- yeah, I I, found, I saw a kindred soul at the at a convenience store today. I was I was walking out and like as soon as I walk out of a store, I take the mask off. Yeah, and uh, he's walking in and putting one on, and he goes, "I fucking hate this shit." I mean, I hate it too. It's not like I don't. <laughs> and I'm like a total stranger yelling to me. I was like, "Yeah, me too, man. I can't yeah. fucking stand it." I uh, I had a um, family issue, so I had to drive down to Florida on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and 16 hours straight drive. And that was that was a lot of fun. And uh, is that sarcasm? That it was, was fun. Fun? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say like eighty percent of it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You get you get towards the end, and you're you know you're just like oh for fuck's sake I'm in Florida, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> um, but then I I had to fly home, uh, and I fucked up. I I booked the whatever. I booked a flight myself through the app, and I fucked it up. So I got to the airport. I didn't have a flight. Um, so I was like, well. I got to book any flight to get home because I have to get home because I was shooting something with the, for the New Jersey Devils, that, which I'll, I'll talk oh, about in a second. Oh, yeah. You just got to rub it in your face. This. I heard about <laughs> this. So I'm at the airport. I find a JetBlue flight for uh, to get home, but I have to hang around the airport four hours. Okay? Now, that gives you a lot of time to sit in a corner and observe people. Holy fucking shit. Nobody gives a fuck. Everybody's walking around. Like, not everybody, but a large amount of people are walking around with a mask on the chin or yeah. just, like, under the nose or, or mm-hmm. fucking. 
and and they just don't care. Like the people that wear it down, like around their neck, they don't give a fuck. The, the, every five minutes, there's an announcement going. You're in the airport. <laughs> you have to wear the mask up. They don't care. People are giving them dirty looks. It's mm, it's not my problem. Like it, you're just like this is fucking crazy. Then I get on a flight, and I I just feel like I'm gonna die. It's just like I feel like I'm like I'm. Why gonna, you feel like you're gonna die? I just feel like this the nerves, this virus, the, the, crawling the anxiety. All over me. Yeah. I'm I'm in like the like the even more like leg room. Like, <laughs> yes, like, there's a guy behind me mm. coughing. There's a woman to my left coughing. The guy in front of me sneezing. He's telling everybody he's got allergies, not to worry. <laughs> like, oh my fucking god! Meanwhile, when I'm flying, oh, and the ticket was forty two dollars. So all right, so the flight's full of pe- the type of people, and I'm one of them, who. Take advantage of a forty-two dollar flight to and from Orlando in the middle of a pandemic. Like that's who's on the plane. If you know, if you can pet that mental picture. Why were you wishing that you had booked a different, a more expensive flight? You well, thought it would be more. I, it would be more safe, though. The flight that I had booked, that I fucked up, was uh, it was a first class seat, which was two hundred twenty dollars, which is unheard. That's normally what a fucking jet blew. Yeah, that's very. So I bought the seat, and I bought the seat next to me. I was like, great, I'll fucking buy out the seats. Nobody will be nobody will be next to me. I'll fly home, no problem. This will be great. Mm-hmm. Instead, I ended up in the fucking even more nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I was it was real nerve wracking, man. Like I got home, I couldn't shower long enough. I um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I was also on a JetBlue flight last week. Uh, I got to sit next to Sage though because they don't sell that middle row. Yeah, so. It's not that bad. Like I didn't even get the extra leg room this time because yeah. I'm like I'll have all that room with me and her. But if I but I would have done it if it was just me flying. Well, the couple behind me, she sat next to her husband because they were like, we don't need them. And both of them were coughing the entire time, and I was like, these motherfuckers. Does the anxiety ramp up with every day a new a new like another shoe drops? Like you know, Trump. Now is tested positive, and uh, he might America's Superman. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like the anxiety, though, because like the stock markets definitely no. have anxiety when they hear the, when the president of the United States is sick. You know, they they are affected. BQ's not. No, I'm not. I, that's all shit that's happening outside my fucking world. Right, but do you but do you think though that like it could cause like um, more upheaval and more like you know. Just more chaos in an already chaotic world. I feel that upheaval and chaos is coming no matter what. So um, it's not something I'm fearing. I'm just waiting for it to come. Uh, Do you think he makes it through this or you think think so? I think he makes it through it. I think we get to election and no matter what happens at the other side of that election, that there's going to be, there's going to be some trouble. Have you heard the conspiracy theories? No. What's that? I, I, these are not ones that I'm starting oh. or I'm backing, <laughs> okay. but I'll tell you what I, what I've yeah, heard. I would, I'm my, with my ear to the grapevine. Um, Trump doesn't have COVID. Does not. Is going to say he has COVID and be so sick he cannot run and has to pass the baton to to Pence. And then if Pence loses, he could see, then he could say afterwards, "Well, I would have won if I didn't get sick. Of course, I would have won." So just to save, just face? to save face, because he of- sees the writing on the wall and he's like, he sees those poll numbers and he's like, I am, "It's not happening." Yeah, but he's got to think he's going to be win. He's going to think he thinks he's going to win. I think he's going to win. There are a lot of creative oh, people no out way. there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think that's a you don't think that's a that's a pretty good solid conspiracy theory though right for a guy who doesn't want to have to lose on the world fucking stage but you're talking about donald trump he doesn't think he's gonna lose yeah he didn't think he was gonna get COVID either no right he, there's no way he thought he was gonna get it he the way he was fucking he thought he was fucking teflon yeah. that, that the virus wouldn't touch him like fucking he was wrong 
He was. Now look at him. And the, and the beautiful first lady has it too. Why aren't we paying more attention to that? Because she's fucking taken out she's healthy objects. as an ox, man. Look at her. That's true. She's got those. Nothing, nothing. Eastern European stock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're used to sitting out fucking harsh times. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I just think it's yeah, the times. I mean, just when you think it can't get any more fucking surreal. I said some time ago, I remember us having a conversation on the show, uh, you and I, Walt, about if a president died, it wouldn't be – it wouldn't hold the same weight as when JFK died. I was like, I really don't think people would be all that upset. And you were like, no, 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 they'd be upset. Now, this is when Barack Obama was president. Oh, yeah. Would you like to change your opinion? <laughs> <laughs> would people be upset? Uh, well, I mean, there would be there would be a tiny segment, I think, of the, right. of the population. <laughs> but the – but there would be people who would be pretty uh, happy. I mean, it would just be bad, though, because it's going to be like a very uh, – like I said, I think it would just be chaotic like if he dies before you know the election, though, because it's never ha- – well, I guess it has happened, but not this close, I think, to an election. I, I don't think it'll worry. I think he's going to be fine. You think so? Yeah. What makes you think that, though? I mean, he's, uh, he's at that age group. He's, in the, he's at the at-risk fucking person. He's – yeah, he's not no. that healthy. They say, although he fucking claims to be the healthiest seventy-five-year-old that ever lived <laughs> off the planet. I think that's bullshit. Doesn't he say he lives off McDonald's fries or something? <laughs> <laughs> that's bizarre. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just a feeling because the, the updates are coming. He put out that video. I don't know. I think he'll be fine. Nothing live though. Well, Nothing when does live. he ever go live unless he's in the press room? I mean, if he went live, I'd be a little bit more um, – I'd give more credence to the fact that it may not be wor- more worse than it appears to be right. or that it could be worse than it appears sure. to be. Sure, and look, I don't know anything that you don't know, so it's just – you're just going well, off I, feeling I, and I'm going I don't know. Maybe I thought maybe when you did this devil's fucking uh, no. <laughs> phone in, maybe you also got some fucking dirt on, on the presidency. Yeah, no. do tell us about this. Uh, more more hockey hey. talk with uh, BQ. Yeah. Ha- yeah. The – the Devils asked me if I wanted to. All right, so you know Scotty Gomez. Uh, do you? Yeah, of course I know Scotty okay. Gomez. <laughs> what position did he play? <laughs> but what is what this? was his number? I'm not answering any of these questions. <laughs> I know all of this How because I you? fucking looked it all up before before I fucking <laughs> talked to him. But I'm not I'm not subjecting myself to this sort of inquiry. Really? How uh, many times did he win a cup? I don't need to answer any of these. You just watch- one of these. Just one of those questions would be Twice. enough. Twice? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Correct. Okay. So, <laughs> I know the answers. I just refuse to give them. <laughs> now, how long has it been since he played Scott Gomez? It's been uh, some time, right? No, he, no? he's re- he's retired relatively recently in the, in the you know in the in the grand scheme of the game. He's a a recent retiree. I mean, I'm sure he still looks like a young man. Great player. Yeah, though, he's, right? yeah. Like he was a his- really good player. He was. Um, he was an excellent devil. He was one of my favorite all-time devils. And even when he left, I didn't I didn't begrudge him for going to the Rangers because they they parked a Brinks truck, yeah, and you know in front of his house and were like you know please come and um, but I wish he had stayed with the Devils, but you know it, you know it didn't work out. I mean it worked out for him. He got a load a boat boatload of money, like fifty one million or something. But uh, <laughs> it didn't work out for him career wise. His career fucking. Yeah. Kind of nosedived after he left the Devils, though, in terms of like point production. Right. Do you care that? I, I don't know. Um, this is a real question. What do you think you'd care that much if you have fifty-one million? Yeah. And then you start slacking a little. You're like, oh, I'm not as. There, I'm, I'm just not converting these points. But I think if an athlete, yeah, I think it bothers anybody who doesn't produce, and especially when you got a you got a your city, like 
bagging on you day after uh, day. Yeah, that, you know, money doesn't you haven't scored a goal wounds. in almost eight months. You know, it, it starts to wear on you, anybody, I think. He, mm-hmm. he said that uh, he feels he was part of the best team in, in, in almost the history of hockey. And the it 2000 was, Devils? And it was when they didn't win the Cup. Oh, 2001? It, it was when, he couldn't get the, when they couldn't get the back-to-back. Yeah. And he was like, I felt that team, if we had won that, we would have been considered one of the best teams ever. In hockey. I still consider that team yeah. one of the best teams ever. I might be biased. I'm probably biased. I'm definitely biased. <laughs> you and him might be biased. <laughs> yeah, that was a crushing uh, loss in Game 7 against Colorado. But I did he mention why the, he, he thinks that they didn't weren't able to do it? I think it was because no. Niedermeyer had a concussion and played with a concussion that, that series. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it would affect performance. Because he was such a vital player, yeah. and he got, he, got, he, he got knocked out, like one of the most vicious elbows uh, ever, and he then went on to play yeah. in the finals. Like a week later, he's playing in the finals. And I'm sure that had a slowed him down just a, a, a little take bit. Away that championship <laughs> edge. Uh, well, it wasn't that kind of interview. They were like, because now he does this. He lives in Alaska. Yeah, and he does this YouTube show, which I, I encourage anybody listening to check it out because it's called Scotty's House, and what he's presenting it as is an Alaskan teaching you survival and and cooking tips. But he's so funny, the guy that when you're watching it, I'm like, he's got to be fucking with us. Like he's doing things. It's almost like a he's almost doing a really subtle parody of these stupid videos, <laughs> and he's so fucking funny. And I, and and I was like, because the Devils, they they asked if I wanted an interview. Now, did you did you ha- who sets this up? Do you have like somebody from the Devils contact you, or does Someone Scotty the have Devils. his own? Some uh, the Devils presented him a list of names that they wanted to reach out to. My name was on it, and he 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 picked it. Does he watch he the show? IJ. Yeah, of course. So. Of course um, he does. He doesn't watch conflict. <laughs> didn't Man, mention, but he did not mention conflict. Man. No. So, so they were like, "Do you want to interview him?" And I watched the videos. They're so fucking funny. I was like, "I gotta talk to this guy." So they were like, "Just interview him about anything. Ask him any questions you want." So I just came up with like twenty really weird questions. What are some of the weirder ones you asked him? Um, uh, he's a big fisherman. So I was at one question I asked him was, "Let's say you're fishing and you catch the most beautiful Alaskan salmon ever." And as you're reeling it in, it starts to talk to you. What do you do? And it's and then it's you know it's questions like that. Like, what if a robot came back from the future to try and kill you? How do you fight it? Like, I was throwing all sorts of one question. <laughs> really, was, you have an opportunity. Yeah, to interview <laughs> two-time Stanley Cup champion Scott Gomez, yeah. and that's the level of questions that. Yeah. But it leads to stuff. <laughs> you know, you know, he hasn't been asked these questions before. Yeah, though. no, obviously not. <laughs> it, it leads to stuff. Like the, one of the questions, I don't remember which one, led to – in the conversation ensuing it, I was like, well, what's it feel like to win the Stanley Cup in your first season? Like how do you mm. – and, you Wikipedia that one, and he said, uh, "Well, like, conversation." He said that um, the guy, the guys were like, "Look, you just, you just accomplished it, so now it's all about business." And he goes, and "He goes, you learned very, very fast that it's about, it's a business." He yeah. goes, "So there was some, you know, so the questions were stupid, but they led to some things, and he loved them. We, we were getting along. We were supposed to do a half hour. We did uh, almost two hours. Finally, production was like two guys, hours." Guys, How much yeah, of that so. we'll we'll see uh, the yeah, yeah, four we'll, minutes? Oh, it's only a four minute show. <laughs> it's like a cl- show? it's like an interview clip. Yeah, yeah. They they wanted to do a half hour to get four minutes. We did an almost two hours because wow. we were just having a blast. Do you have his phone number? Yeah, we were texting. He's sending oh me some salmon. <laughs> Unbelievable. You want me to see if if I can? Yeah. Use some you salmon? want to ask I don't him want a question? Any salmon. 
Huh? <laughs> Do you have a question you would ask him in your interview? You want me to t- I could text him right now and ask him. Uh, yeah. Um, right. Fuck it. Let's call him. Let's no, put him on. No, no, no. Well, ask him if he wants to talk to us. Okay. The most intense <laughs> teammate he's ever played with. Sexually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you <yeah. laughs> All right. Sent? Sent. Just, you just write that with no, like, out of context? You just sent that to him? Well, we've been texting for the past couple of days, so oh. it's, it's kind of an ongoing really? conversation. We're buddies now. Yeah. We're pals. Of course. I sent him some R&H, some beer. He drank it, loved it. He sent me some salmon. This yeah. is how friendships are, are forged. Do you eat salmon? I love salmon. Oh, okay. He says it's going to be the best salmon I've ever had in my entire life. He caught it. He this caught is, it. This is fish that he's caught. And he, his house is right on a stream, and he just fish. He just catches salmon right now. Where does he live? Alaska. Alaska. Oh, he does live. I was going to say that's usually yeah. where you. The, the final frontier. Salmon. Yeah. I wonder why he moved there. Was he? That's born? where he was born from. That's, yeah. where, he, oh, that's really? where he grew up. Oh, yeah. Gomez. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he was one of the like the first Alaskan player to ever make it to the NHL. He was a great, great player, man. Yeah, he, he was, was awesome. fun, fast as fuck. He was so great funny. sense of humor in in the interviews. Yeah. Oh, uh, he did one interview where he's wearing a where he's wearing an autism hat. <laughs> you would love him, dude. And like, and the guy in the interview is like, "Well, I see you wearing a hat for autism awareness." And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "You should probably be wearing one too, but you're not." But that's cool, I guess. Like, he just do shit like that to people. Um, he's he was really funny. He, Scotty's house is, witty is guy. really funny, very witty. I went out to Vegas last week. Yeah. It's not the Vegas that you remember and love. <laughs> well, I heard crimes like through the roof on the strip, right? Uh, I've, I didn't see any of that. We only went to the strip once. It was me, Mary Beth, and Sage, and uh, Mary Beth's parents have a house out there. So my plan was I was like, we'll, we'll fly there. We'll get off the plane. We'll drive to Grand Canyon, check it out, uh, and we'll come on back and we'll do some stuff in, in Vegas. So we got in late. And the the trip was twice as far as I thought it was mm. to the Grand Canyon. I thought it was two hours, but it's actually four hours. That sucks. Oh, yeah. So I was like, well, it's fucking three o'clock now. There's no way we're going to get there in time to look at it. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. What, how long do you think it was going to take to get there? I thought it was two hours. When I so you want to get there at five o'clock in the afternoon? No. By the time we got in, I thought that it would have been sooner. What time did you think you were going to arrive there? I thought we were going to get there around like four leaving at three from Las Vegas. No, no, no. That's no leaving at one. Cause leaving we got it. We, oh, okay. we were late getting to the, getting gotcha. to the car place and all that other shit. I did not know. I didn't, I didn't plan that poorly. I just, mm. I Googled it and that's what it said. Anyway, I didn't go to the goddamn great. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, all right, well it has to be somewhat educational for Sage. We're going to be here a couple days. The next day, like all she cares about though is going to pools. Like that's literally all she cares. about. Yeah. So first day she goes to the pool. Uh, the next day she goes to the pool. Then the, the next day I'm like, we got to do something educational. We'll go to, bring her to the Hoover Dam. I know she doesn't give a fuck, but for me, yeah. uh, like it'll just make me feel better if we do now, something. Can I, can I ask a question? When you, yeah. Now let's say you get to the Hoover Dam. Right. And you're like, you keep saying, I've got to do something educational. Does your, mm-hmm. does it, does, does your like thinking like, okay, we're here. She saw a dam. That's educational enough, or do you do something else to make it more educational? I mean, I can't imagine that you're like now like doing something more than just being like, well, there it is. It's All right, like let's go. In, um, in National Lampoon's vacation, where Jimmy just gets there and he rocks his head three times. Let's go. I mean, you keep like, you said I it like this. She would be amazed at it because it's uh, it is like visually and just yeah, sound. No, it, okay, it's yeah, crazy. But you've kept using the word educational, right. and that leads people to think that. There's going to be more to it than just watching it. No. And looking it. at it. Okay. That, that's the entire lesson. 
<laughs> you want to show? My, you should just say, "I want to show her something awe-inspiring." Unusual, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Education is, is painting you to be like some sort of like you know, like your <laughs> good father. Like, <laughs> like I cared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, 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 you're propping yourself up there with, with this word, mm. when all you're really doing is driving by right. something and be, oh, look at that. Well, geez, Walt is extra. You're salty. Not only Kevin texted me too. I was like, I'm interviewing Bartan Brodeur this week. Oh wow. Yeah, and then and then he says, "Oh yeah, Q got to interview Scott Gomez." I heard. Kevin Look, said that. Yeah, and then my oh. and then my phone. I'm like, "Wow, two guys who don't know shit and <laughs> don't give a fuck." Don't know shit don't well, well fuck. I mean, other than we have, when you were forced to Wikipedia it. God forbid if your internet went out and you had to fucking make that and you had to fucking get, make that interview happen. <laughs> this is an outrageous fucking thing. Yeah, you know, I've, I've watched Devils my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> when's the last time when's the last game you really watched from beginning to end uh well i mean what was the last game you really watched from beginning to end oh probably in march when it was shut down yeah there you go that'd <laughs> <be> <laughs> <too>. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay what was the last game the last game before the shutdown what happened it was uh it was a Who big was fight yeah no, no fight no more <laughs> <Between hockey>. me <laughs> elbow thrown <laughs> That's what I'm just saying. It's it's a little it's a it's a very very tough pill to swallow. Maybe it's this attitude that you carry around with you that prevents you from getting these sort of well, interviews. Would you? How would the devils do know that I'm an asshole? What? How would the, how would the devils know that I'm an <laughs> We're asshole? We're on episode 800 of the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, how much homework do you do for this? Is it like if I know nothing? Five I, mean, minutes? I know. I, I'm joking aside, like I, I know Scotty Gomez. I watched him play and everything like that. Not like you have. Right. Okay. All okay. right. I like that. I like Not that. like you have. <laughs> yeah. At least you'll admit it. <laughs> but uh, I'm aware of who he is. I've seen him play, right. and, you know, okay. and, uh, and I always liked him. So I didn't have to do that much. Uh, really, what I did is I watched, just to get a sense of him, I watched interviews with him on YouTube. What do you call him? Scotty. Yeah. Not Gomer yet? <laughs> no, not yet. We haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, that was his nickname on the ice. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't presume to just start calling Gomer. Him. Yeah, take a little while. Yeah, I'll work on. I think it. even Scotty is uh, familiar, familiar, right? Well, his name of the show Scotty's House. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's Scotty's House. Oh, yeah, okay. so I just went with that. So you didn't, what about when you got to the dam? What happened then? Uh, we never made it to the dam. The oh, dam no. was closed. <laughs> it was a dark fucking week for education. Well. <laughs> The last day was the last day was my final attempt at some education. Mandalay Bay has this aquarium and uh, has sharks in it, like a big mm-hmm. shark tank and all this other, you know, all these other fish. So we're like, okay, we'll go there. No, you can't deny that's educational. And it was until halfway through the tour, the power went out, and never oh came back God. on, and like they had to come and get us. And they're like, yeah, we can't finish this tour. Uh, so you're going to have to just I don't go get your money back. <laughs> and the next day we left. <laughs> All the way there. And I'm like, why did we do this? <laughs> but I don't understand why they would have to kick you out of an aquarium with no power because they must have backup generators or else the fish are going to die. You would think so. But it got dark real fast and they were like, get out. Yeah, God, like, how many go. fish fucking perish then, you think, if they didn't get know. those lights didn't come back on? Maybe they just have it for the tanks. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense because other parts of the the casino were lit up. And this is a, a I mean, you've been to Mandalay Bay. Yeah. This is a ghost town. Yeah. A strip ghostly. That's uh, some, that's the part I want to see. We went to uh we were down by Fremont Street, just yeah, just not the same. Yeah. Went to the Mob Museum too. 
that was pretty cool. Did Sage go? No, she didn't go. Oh, to that. I guess that could have been the only yeah. education she got. Fucking yeah, really. on the trip. Yeah, oh, this is Tony Soprano. I'm going to prick your finger. <laughs> <laughs> Tony oh, Soprano's uh, he had an outfit there, and so did um, Nucky Thompson from Boardwalk Empire. But it kind of seemed to stop. Like all of the stuff kind of seemed to stop in the uh, like in the 50s. There was almost no – there was no 70s or 80s stuff really as really? far as mob shit. Yeah, and I was like, that's the stuff I'm really interested in. So Mob Museum, while cool, was mostly about Vegas mob stuff as opposed to like – Whitey Bulger? I think, yeah, there was some Whitey Bulger yeah. in there, yeah. Who's the one they did the, 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 the one with Ned Beatty? Not Ned Beatty, uh, Warren Beatty. Oh, Bugsy. Yeah, Bugsy. that was uh, Bugsy. Fucking boring ass movie. Yeah, Oof. too too romantic. Yeah. Esta, I love Esta. <laughs> is there a Warren Beatty movie that you guys like? Shampoo. Shampoo. Oh yeah. Yeah. Heaven can wait. Heaven can wait. Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy. Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, how many more? You honest the name. <laughs> I'm, asking, I'm asking you a question. I'm just counting your answers. You, know, you don't like any of those? No, no, no. I don't. I don't know Warren Beatty really. But as you said, all of those, I was like, oh, I've seen them all, and they're good. So mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. I'm going out to see Eric in a few weeks, too. I'm going to fly out to L.A., so I'm wondering, will I get caught up in uh, fires and riots and all kinds of shit out there, right? How's he doing? Better? I seem so. Yeah? Yeah. From what I talked to him, I mean, it seems like he's doing okay. He took a. I saw on Instagram, he's taking pictures from his uh, beachfront chalet. Oh, he's on Instagram? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I want to follow Eric. Are you allowed to say it out loud? Yeah, people can follow him. Let me see. Let me see. What he want everybody following him? Uh, I don't know. If not, he doesn't have to accept him, right? And then you'll know he's a real dickhead. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Let's see. We'll give it out on here. Uh, er. Did Jeff leave? Yes. I didn't hear him leave. It's um, E R I K J O. Actually, it's Eric Johnson, all one word, except leave off the last N. So it's Eric Johnson. All right. With a K. Yeah, with a K. That's oh, yeah, very important. Those fucking Pam and Edgar were very fucking highfalutin with their fucking misspellings of names. Probably yeah. with a Y. Oh, yeah. Eric with a K. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, look, we're going to separate ourselves from the riffraff. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get to see a 2013 picture of me that I don't really recall. <laughs> I don't know where that was. Uh, so, right. yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll give a full report. I'll probably do some uh, a podcast or two with him out oh, there. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah. People love Eric Johnson, they man. They do. They love Dr. J. He's got a great sense of humor. Uh, so you said you wanted to talk to Gidham about something. Huh? You had a question to ask him? Uh, well, yeah, I saw a news article. Um, and I wanted to get a, a, a 148 IQ to weigh in on something that really seems to be bamboozling people. Oh, yeah? There's this safe, um, 700 ton safe, is it, Gidham? 700 pound. 700 pound safe that somebody inherited when they bought a house hmm. and they can't get it out of the house. Mm-hmm. So now they're, they're, they went online and now they're, they're accepting people's who can come in and be like, I can remove the safe for you or I can at least open it for you. And if you open the safe, you get to keep what's inside and the person who owned the house previously – Owned a jewelry store. Oh. And I wanted to know, like, so many people have tried, they can't get it open. What would be the get them approach? Uh, would we go non-destructive or destructive? 
You tell me. It doesn't me. matter, right? You tell me. Well, it does. Some people want to uh, remain, um, keep the integrity of the safe, so they'll go with uh, Julian. He doesn't want the safe. He wants it out of his house. Nobody can even get it out of the house. Yeah, they said because uh, I think it was the the um, the stairwells and the the way the doors are constructed. Like it must have been the safe must have been put in first, and then they renovated the house afterwards. So they'd have to destroy part of the house to get it out. And you can't destroy the house. I guess he doesn't want to. No, he would. Yeah. He would. So, now I thought all three of you guys would come. Well, how would you approach it? You had to get the safe out. What would you? What would be your first? Not knowing anything. Well, I would be like, what does the area look like so I can figure it the fuck out? <laughs> uh, yeah, my first Would you would put be... it on like a pulley system or put some like uh... – Well, so it's not bolted to the ground or anything? No. Like Why can't they lift 700 pounds? Uh, you just throw it out wedges, the window. Right? I mean a Hold safe on. that's that heavy is probably pretty big. So it's probably a matter well, of – I'm looking okay. at it right now. It looks like an old school TV like the ones with the rear projection. It's huge. I have that same safe. Do you? Yeah, mine's green though. Okay. So how did you, how'd you get how'd it you in get there? How did you get it in and out? It's uh, mine's on wheels. Uh, this does not appear and, to be and on I wheels. Had, and I have a I had a, a, a wide a wide basement doorway. Can't they jack it up and put wheels underneath it? Yeah, like one of those uh, furniture like a movers, dolly. like a little dolly. But wait, hold on. Can I see that again? Yeah, sure. Because because that that's an interior safe. What you're talking about there? See, My, like this is mine's the same thing. They got the outer door. There was a door there. So now there's an interior some 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 of these old type safes made in the 20s to the 50s had a interior safe inside. So that's what they can't open. So what you would do is like they would have like a slot so like you could do like deposits in the outer safe, but then the inner safe you needed right. a manager or somebody to to okay. know the combination. Now why do you think he's huh. willing to give away the interiors not knowing what's inside? What if what if like there's millions of dollars inside? Uh, I would highly doubt that someone would leave millions of dollars in the safe. Then you leave thousands of dollars out and fucking under your your couch in a, in a burnable. <laughs> <laughs> so why do you doubt highly that somebody would put money in a fucking place it should go a fucking I don't think fireproof fucking safe I don't think it's millions. Yeah. And, fur- and furthering that, why are we now asking him how to get the safe out? <laughs> well, see. <laughs> But there's a problem with drilling because some of these old safes have um, – they would put these special devices on the inside that if you attempted to drill them or brute force them, they would release this – Gas? No, gas, yeah. Not gas? Noxious gas? gas? Yes. Mustard gas? But it's actually oh, – you want this is not true? He's a fucking maniac. Who did that? <laughs> I believe the Joker did. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Laughing gas when Batman tried to get in his safe. I can't believe Q doesn't have uh, a system where it would propel gas into a person's face. <laughs> uh, Is that really true? Yes, because uh, I'm on a um, I'm on a subreddit called "What's in This Thing," and it was originally uh, founded about a this guy had a safe in his house and he wanted it opened and didn't, didn't know what was inside. And right. Reddit got obsessed with it, so they created their own subreddit for it. And people who have safes post to this this subreddit now trying to get safes open. Um, How? But the problem is, is that the um, whatever the chemical was has been broken down over all these years, and it's actually even more dangerous now. It's than more it noxious. Was. Yes. Hear that, wow. What? <laughs> that is a true thing. That is that he actually. Found, he found I'm, evidence of it. I'm yeah. trying to find the. Um... And he mentioned now why now have we been fed a bunch of lies by Hollywood about how easy it is to cr- to like crack a safe. 
I, I, I've seen episodes of Mythbusters. Yes, it's it's so not. You don't as, put the stereoscope to the fucking the stethoscope. The stethoscope yeah. can help. It can help some people. Some people feel it by by touch. Some people do it by ear. But you have to know what you're dealing with to know what the sounds associated with it are. So, so who? But what about? Wouldn't they just get the best safe cracker in the world to come in and do it just to, for the PR? It takes a lot of. T- it's not as quick and easy as like you know Hollywood. Again, Hollywood makes it out to be. You I know, saw Ocean's Eleven. It's easy as hell. Like a lot of safes are, <laughs> a lot of safes are rated on how long it's going to take someone to break into them with brute force. And if you have access to it, yeah, you can just go at, go at it with grinders and stuff. All right. So, would you go? What would you do then? Um. Well, they make devices that you can uh, latch onto the um, the safe, and you can have it auto dial. Magnetic device? No, it's uh, it's like I. It probably does attach to magnets, but it, it'll go and actually spin the tumblers in the um, and go through all the possible combinations. But depending on the safes, they don't actually have every combination available. They'll only use like every other number as a possible combination. So it actually cuts you down. It'll cut it down by a lot. And like if you know one number, that even cuts it down even further. Doesn't he sound like an expert? He's good at it, right? Q is fucking. He's dizzy. <laughs> he's getting schooled on the devils, on safes. Uh, <laughs> and he hasn't said anything so far. I don't know. I, don't. I, so guess, what, I guess. I guess you. The mask is covering my mouth, so you can. You can't see that, it, that it's not a gape. <laughs> no, it's a gape. I can see it. Pleasant the smile. Chin's fucking on your on your lap. It looks like. <laughs> because what did he say? <laughs> How? Uh, what, what would your approach be? The one forty eight approach. Uh, again, without knowing if there's a protective device inside. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's assume there's no noxious. Case. And by the by, the looks of it, it's a uh, it's a circular door safe. So that means that the uh, mm-hmm. the bolts will go out in in various directions. It's not just you can't don't just cut down two sides and you're out. So it, it's going to be a little tougher to get to. Plus with that curve. What about a, again? It's a the, torch could a to- like a propane torch. The problem with it? torches is as soon as it gets towards the center in, in the interior, it starts transferring heat. Okay. Uh, basically, thermodynamics heat flows towards cold. So it'll actually start heating up the stuff inside, and that's what that's what a fire safe is designed to, to stop is that that you know the insides from heating up. So once you start, but the guy doesn't care what's on the inside. This is all but good and fine. How the fuck are you going to get it out of the house? Because if, <laughs> if it's a million dollars inside, you're going to start burning the money. Well, he doesn't care. He said the person that gets it open or gets it out gets to keep what's in there. Then I guess it's, I don't know. Yeah, but I guess you have to get it open when you get it out of his house because if you open it up in his house, you still haven't solved the problem of listen, getting it out. You want to know how I'm going to do it? Yeah, I want to hear this. Looking at the picture? Yeah. Okay, what I do is I get a, a cutting torch because you notice that big first door is open. Mm-hmm. So you just fucking cut the safe off around that center one. Get the, get the top off, get the bottom off because you can because you're not transferring heat because it's not going on the interior. Did thing. you know about the transfer of heat problem? Yeah, of course. Okay. Come on. Was, uh, I, didn't, I didn't know about it. I didn't know. Yeah. There was, there so was actually – You cut off the top. You cut off the bottom and then you could eventually just carry the fucking thing out and the pieces. How much weight will that take off like cutting the top and bottom off? You well, think it's not a weight months? issue to safe. What it is, it's an issue of, uh, of uh, maneuverability. With, right? Yeah. Because they can't yeah. get it out so of the doors. You, you wouldn't go with a grinder just to cut down on like the fumes and everything? <laughs> Sure, you could grind the metal I'm instead just, of cutting it, I guess. That's fine. Thinking, if we're going to do this. We thinking, well, knowing what I know now about what smoke does to the interior of homes. Yeah, but you get a lot of dust with the grinder, though. I'm, I'm guessing you could probably set up a shop back then, too. Well, you could probably also do something like that with the, the heat, and the heat would probably go much faster, too. Where is this safe located? What Boston. Boston. Now, couldn't you just take out the window, like remove a window, and then 
throw the safe outside the window and have, just have it hit the ground? <laughs> well, I would guess it'd be like <laughs> like a Warner Brothers cartoon. <laughs> you you it's could a, it's, it's um, mecha- mechanically assaulted. That's a lot of safes are are uh, you can do that. You can just knock a lot of sa- that's how a lot of safes are removed. D- no, what I'm saying is you can break open smaller safes by that. You just go at them with sledgehammers till they you know get so out of whack the doors just pop. No, open. no, I mean just to get it out of the house though. Couldn't you get like some sort of pulley or wench system to get it in the air? Remove a window and then push it out the window and have it hit. Make sure there's nothing on the ground underneath it, mm-hmm. obviously, and then let it hit the ground and it's out of the house at least. And then you worry about opening the door. Then, right? Uh, I found that article. I'm um, oh, sorry, you were saying. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, you, um... I cracked it already. No, I, I would say probably the easiest would be like maybe like take out a window and the I, surrounding area. That's what I said. Yeah. So you stole my idea. No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> Mary, Beth, Mary Beth's parents have a safe on their property. It was there when they bought it in 94 and they never had it opened. That's crazy. It's like in a barn or something. I was like, how the fuck? It's been over 20 years. That's I'm like, how the fuck can you not? If, why, don't you, why don't you offer it? Hey, if I get that safe open, can me and Mary Beth what's keep what's acid? inside? I bet you they say yeah, yes. Yeah, some kind of like really? type gas. Yeah, right. like next yeah. time uh, next time we go out there, I'm, I'll offer that. I'll bring my stethoscope and shit and crack that. Mm. I've, I've crack only that cracked safe. one safe, and that you've was, cracked the safe before. It was, but it was, <laughs> it was already it was op- more of a bike lock. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was already open, but no one knew the combination, so I had to take the thing apart and uh, manually figure it out from the dials what the combination was. But we How have long it, it take up. you? Uh, it took me about a half hour. That's it. Yeah. Dude, but again, it was easy because the door was, the, the door was, um, the the combination was. The combination was uh, not there, but I also, but I did pick the. There's actually a physical. <laughs> there's a physical lock on it. I did pick that. So tell him, Steve, Dave. <laughs> All right, thank you, Gettle. Right, Thanks, Gettle. Yeah, that's what we'll do. I'll do a. Um, and then you could be like Al Capone's vault. We we'll call it Brian Johnson's vault. Oh yeah. And then we'll film what's inside. But once you get somebody in there to open it up, what's Geraldo doing? Yeah, really. <laughs> that was something. The Al Capone's vault thing. Like I don't think they would do that anymore, right? Oh yeah, they would. Would they? Oh yeah, with the way with content the, the way it is today. So if you don't know about Geraldo Rivera, uh, back in the late eighties, right? Yeah. He stumbled, well, they came across what they thought was Al Capone's vault, and they did this whole. Was it live? Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, it was live. live. I remember yeah. watching. Yeah, it. it was live, and uh, they went into this vault to try to see what uh, Al Capone would have had in there, and it was nothing, right? It was bottles. Yeah, just old bottles yeah. and shit, which to me is a treasure. <laughs> <laughs> and get them yeah, bottle yeah. dump. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would be the same, but hey, who knows? And then what if somebody's like, "Hey, you can keep whatever's in there." Does it is it different if it's like holy shit? It's like uh, like gold certificates that are worth in excess of two million bucks or and, something. And it's like your that. fuck. And it's your wife's family, and you're like, ha ha. Yeah, should have let like, me. Should have let me have it. Like, yo, guys. <laughs> you're not going to be like, hey man, I'm not going to. I'm not going to hold you to that agreement. I'm gonna, I'll split it with you. Yeah, I'd want some. Yeah, yeah, I'd go halvesies. I bet you if we did it for Patreon, like oh, uh, for, for like the opening of, mm-hmm. of the Mary Beth Vault, I, yeah. think I would watch. I want to yeah, know. Yeah, people in would that. love to. That would be fucking intriguing, we'll man. Get a safe cracker out there, yeah. or, you, or you, if he doesn't care if you destroy it, like yeah. you can just destroy it to get it open. Yeah, I mean, if it's been there that long, I doubt he cares. I mean, you don't want to destroy the interiors. No, no, hey, whatever's in there. You got to be was, careful is, too. There might it, be acid in there. Now this is a doctor's home, right? Yeah. So this mm-hmm. must be a, a, a nice home that has a safe in it, right? 
You would be <laughs> set him up to be robbed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not giving his address out. No, I don't know if I don't know if they have a safe. The house is kind of modest. I would say it's like. But you said there's a safe in the barn, no? Yeah, it was just when they moved in, it was out there. Who keeps so the safe? In so the they barn? don't know who. Like they don't know whose it is. What if there's a body in there? Oh, that'd be amazing. All yeah. folded up and shit. Yeah. It would, like, yeah, like her grandfather was a murderer. Oh my god, that'd be awesome. What if it's a fucking? What if it's one of his patients? Yeah. He, he well, was. I guess he wouldn't have said you could have what's ever yeah. in there. <laughs> that <would make> sense. <laughs> what's even more awesome is uh, this episode. And even more awesome than that uh, is that it's being brought to you by Magic Spoon Q. What's Magic Spoon? Cereal. Magic Spoon is a cereal. Yeah. Oh, that's the cereal we had. Mm-hmm. That was good. It's really good. Yeah, I liked it. Mary Beth's uh, aunt said that it saved her life. And this is independent of, like, Mary, she didn't know that when, uh, when she was telling Mary Beth this, that we did magic spoon spots, but she had diabetes and then she heard of this cereal and she started eating it. And it's like, she's a big cereal eater. So it's sort of, uh, did it save her life? I don't know. I don't know if we can attribute those kind of magical properties. She's saying it though. Who are we to argue with her? Hey, it's her life. Down with the patriarchy. For this commercial sake. Yeah. Let's go with it. Okay. (laughs) It's a miracle cure uh, for diabetes. (laughs) And maybe all cancers. It it could be. (laughs) We're not here to say it is, but we're not here to say it is. Does her aunt have cancer? No. Well, I mean, the evidence is speaking for itself. So far. Yeah. Uh, zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. And there's four flavors. Cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. I'm a fruity guy. Oh, man. We so, know that. Uh, that's going to be a clip this week. <laughs> uh, and this is for all you uh, – for all you uh, particular types, it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's none of that stuff in it. I like it, yeah, because it's not as sugary. I've, I like The cereals I like are not the cereals that are good for you. Yeah. The ones I like are, you know, like Apple Jacks or, oh, okay. uh, you know, like Golden Grams or like yeah. shit with a lot of sugar. But this stuff I, I really uh, actually do like quite a bit. So uh, if you want to give it a try, go to magicspoon.com, T-E-S-D, slash T-E-S-D. Grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use the promo code T-E-S-D at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash T-E-S-D and use the code T-E-S-D for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the Tell Em Steve Dave podcast. Mm. All right, all right, all right. Can I follow you up with a back-to-back ad that's, that you don't even know about or do you want to call your – This your is guy? a rogue ad. Yeah, rogue ad. I don't, think you're gonna, I don't think you're going to be upset though. No? It's, ah. a, it's an ad for a dear, dear uh, friend of the podcast. Uh, so we're not making any money off it. No, no. You're, you, you guys are not going to make a dime off this. But you are going to have an unbelievable amount of karma because um, Jay Sarge – has released an album on Bandcamp. Whoa, all right. Here's something I can get behind. Right? I like how he's dismissed as a listener rather than an <laughs> integral part of the music <laughs> every single listener? week. Yeah. I said listener? Oh, no, yeah. I, I didn't mean listener. He's a, he's a, he's a guy who's provided so much yeah. to the Tom Steve Dave podcast, including the theme song, which I maintain is the greatest theme song in podcast history. I agree with you. I, I agree, too. I remember early on somebody emailing and saying, like, hey, man, that's a shit uh, theme. Like, I'll write you a good one. And I wrote back, I was like, I love it. 
and I can't imagine the podcast without it. Right. You yeah. Know? I can't imagine it opening up without that song. I agree. Tell me a better podcast theme. Let me hear one because I don't think it exists. I haven't heard it. Um, but Jay Sarge emailed me and he didn't want an ad. He wasn't looking for an ad. Hmm. And I told him, I was like, I am so moved by what you wrote about this album. Please let me spread the word. And he said, no, I, that's not why I sent you this email. I just want you to listen to it. And I was like, well, I, I want to spread the word. Um, so he wrote to me, he's telling me that he, he put this album out because of COVID. Hmm. Kind of made him like, you know, inspired him to make this, this, um, this album with no hopes or expectations of promotion or anything like that. Um, he says it's kind of weird, electronic funk inspired, uh, upbeat stuff with old Moog and classic synth sounds and even a few 8-bit drum kits. Oh, wow. Um, the whole reason I put these tracks out was I sort of want to put some good vibes into the world. Isn't oh, that what, what fucking, if everybody did that though, right, yeah. right now, just put good vibes out there? Oh, that's not what we're doing? I, well, sometimes we do. Sometimes we bit. intentionally put bad vibes out there, don't we? <laughs> Those are my favorite times. <laughs> but this one really, this is powerful stuff. He bared his soul to me, like in this email. Yeah? He I've goes, been cheating on my wife. <laughs> I'm not sure if I should tell her or kill her. <laughs> he goes, mostly I did this for me. To see if I could put something out there that wasn't drenched in the cynicism that usually chokes me out before lunch. Is he talking about us? <laughs> I don't know, but like that was so like concerning to me. Yeah. That like that's that's that's, a, that's too strong of opinion. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Too worked up. Yeah, I'm like yeah. I don't want to. I don't like to hear that. You know, a guy who like Jay Sarge is like so choked with cynicism that. It chokes him out before lunch. Uh, it's just sort of lighthearted. <laughs> all the tequila that he drinks. <laughs> <laughs> it's well-intentioned and even goofy. Um, Too many caveats. I don't think he should. I think he should be like, hey, I'm putting this out into the world. No, no. Jay Sarge. No. Boom. You need more than that to stand out in this world. Do you? You know how many motherfuckers are on Bandcamp right now? Oh, yeah. It's so hard to, to uh, make someone notice you or even give you a shot. But his album is called Thoughts Ungone, EP. Hold on. I want to write this down because I'm going to get it tonight. I mean, we've already turned Courage My Love into an international super group. We should, we should make it our, our mission to turn Jay Sarge into oh, at least a national fucking I got, superstar. I got at a, least a regional. I got a radio show. <laughs> a radio show. That's oh, right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll play this tomorrow. I got to record can, it tomorrow. Can you play it on a 24-hour loop just over and over? No, they give me two, they give me two hours and I don't know if they're going to like that, but... But I could definitely do a, a very warm introduction for it. Okay. What's it called? It's called. Just take a picture of your, your, your screen. That's what it's called. Thoughts on God. Whoop. Oh, I got it. Okay. Thoughts on How responsible are we if it turns out that after uh, discovering some backward masking, there's a lot of racist rhetoric in this album. <laughs> oh, my God. That would not be good for us. You know what I like, too, about what J-Sarge has done? And, uh, um, J-Sarge, I want to give you props. I love that you didn't call it by J-Sarge. His, his, like, his new, I guess, handle in the music industry is Remedial M Theory. That sounds badass. That sounds like somebody like J-Sarge kind of sounds like a little elf. Right, but like, Remedial sounds like you're in special needs <laughs> class. Yeah. Remedial is 
But that's what people like nowadays. I am retardicus. <laughs> Listen <laughs> to my good vibes. Well, people don't like smart asses. They like people of the street, you know? Really? They like people just like them. Joe Average? Yeah. Mm. But remedial M theory. I, I love that. I, I thought that was like very uh, hardcore. Do you, could you hit play and play a sample? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, but some of the track names, Q? Yeah. Because I love, I always look more into the uh, track names more than probably I should have with artists, but. Back Road to Selena or Salina. Okay. Nothing in the Dark, Rise at Dawn. All right. And of course, the title track, Thoughts Ungone. So let's hear what we got here. I dig it. Yeah, right? It's got a lot of Nintendo vibes. Yeah. Like Zelda. Oh. There's going to be a certain uh, a certain age group that is going to love this shit. Like, yeah. anytime something comes on that sounds like that old Nintendo shit, yeah. it gets all wet. It's like, oh my god, what is that you're playing? I'm like, I don't know, it's on some video. What's that shit people do at raves? That's what I feel like doing right now. Ecstasy? Oh, like, oh, yeah. like doing, some, e. doing some Molly? Dropping E and shit, yeah. I feel like doing right now, Jay Sarge. It's like musical E. That's like Walt's dancing around with a pacifier in his mouth right I'm gonna now. I'm going to get naked right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, like nowadays, I am though. retardicus. <laughs> Listen <laughs> to my but, good vibes. Well, people don't like smart asses. They like people of the street, you know? <laughs> But go to Bandcamp, pick up Thoughts on Gone by Remedial M Theory. How Not by it? Jay Sarge. How much is it? Uh, I don't know how much it is. Is it free? He gave it to me for free. He gave me a free download. $99.99. I don't think you're gonna get, I don't think everybody else out there is gonna get it for free. Nor should they. Just dropped though, September twenty second, twenty twenty. Just dropped. <laughs> There's no price there. <laughs> But yeah, check it out, man. I mean, it's already got me feeling good, and I hope that uh, I hope that you guys dig it and leave him some reviews too. Artist loves reviews. Do they? Well, I've if they're positive. I've been to <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a musician wants to hear, you know, you know. I would if I was a musician. I'd want to hear what what people think about it. I wouldn't want to just put out music and not hear yeah. their thoughts and in, in, in what people think I, of it. I think you did. Listen, I got to. I've uh, actually have to thank the ants. I, I think you, that he's going to see great success from what you, from you leading people there because we're selling those Catoberfest beer yeah. that, that we made with R and H. The glasses mm-hmm. it fucking sold out in like a day. I thought it would take like months to do it, and and you could put messages in the. Thing and so many people are writing, tell them Steve Dave. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. So I wanted. I mean, I was really actually. It, it it was happening so much that the the people that work for me over there were like, we just gotta let you know that we don't know what tell them Steve Dave means. What does it mean? <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is what it is. So a lot of the ants did it. So guys, thank you, thank you so much. That support that support was really uh, touching. Yeah, you know, and I, I and he, I respect you know Jay Sarge for like not wanting us to like, not not stand on the you know make it a tell them Steve Dave thing. Yeah. So, but. If you're interested in, you know, some really good vibes. Some uplifting. Ch- check out, um, what's it called again? Thoughts on Gone. Thoughts on Gone, man. I love the cover art, too. 
You know, it's it's very uh, edgy. It's hey, very... He stole that from Scorpion's Virgin Killer. <laughs> <laughs> it's very um, hipster. I, I don't want to say hipster. He's not a hipster. I don't know what I... But it, it, it's, <laughs> I don't know what to say to not offend Jay Sarge. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. It's kind of cosmic, though. It's got a spaceship. It's spiraling. It's, it's got a black and white cookie. It's uh, got a star. You don't think that's a planet? Oh, you don't? No, it looks like a black and white cookie. Have you ever seen a black and white cookie? Oh, I thought it was like the spaceship flying past the celestial body. You know what? You're probably right. That's probably not a cookie. Yeah, I saw some Carvel there too. <laughs> You're right. I don't know why I thought it with a spaceship there. I probably should have realized I was not a, right, not a cookie, but a planet. Maybe it was a spaceship-shaped cookie. There we go. All right, so we so got uh, we got a guest see. coming in, huh? Now, yeah. Hello, it's going, Steve. Hey, hey, how's it's going? Brian. How you doing, buddy? Hey, bud, it's Good, Q. I... What's going on, handsome? What's up, guys? I uh, it, it was so refreshing to see my caller ID say New Jersey, which never happens. <laughs> so I was really excited to see New Jersey on my on my phone. <laughs> you still in Florida? Did you come up to New? I heard a rumor you were going to be in New York. I, I was I was supposed to be, and then I was told to wait because I may be doing press there, and now I don't think I'm doing. <laughs> I don't uh, think I'm doing press. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to wait a little bit to uh, to to get out there, but I, I definitely want to get out there to just kind of you know with all this time down, it's like I might as well just get on a plane and go see some friends. Hell yeah! As long as you got. How are you guys doing? We're all as long right. as I got a mess, that's right. Yeah, uh, Walt's here, uh, Walt Planning. I don't think you know him, but we're going to... Uh, we... You know, Walt, I've never I've never gotten a good vibe from Walt, so I prefer him not <laughs> to be there, but it's fine if he's there. Good well, fuck it, he's me? there. Did Let's he do it. Uh, Walt, see, him. there's the attitude. That's why. Out. No, that's they're not That's working. exactly why. Walt comes in aggressive. Walt, lose the fucking attitude, man. I'm a guest. Shit. <laughs> I mean, um, Walt, could you hear Walt? I haven't heard him speak yet. Wait, go ahead and say Hi. something, Steve. Oh, Sorry. I hear him. I hear him. Okay, got him. Hi, right. Walt. Hello, Steve. L- let me say Hi, this. Hi, how are you? Good. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Anyway, uh, Walt, Walt actually has a problem with you, too, uh, because we, oh, no- we noticed that you were born in Freehold, yet yes. you uh, support the Pittsburgh Penguins. How are you not a devil's guy, Walt wants to know? <laughs> I was a devil's fan. I, I was Kirk Muller, Circa Kirk Muller. Um, John McClain, Glenn Chico Resch, oh, John Sorella on D. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did. I did really enjoy the Devils when I was a younger kid. But I moved to Pittsburgh, I believe, in '84 or yeah, '84. And look, how can you not instantly, you know, <laughs> ditch the old girlfriend and go? Oh, Mario Lemieux? Yeah, I'm in for this. <laughs> how old were you when and you then moved? An upgrade with. I think it was nine or ten somewhere in there. Yeah, that's what I told Brian. I was like, "How can I get on a guy when he like, he moved as a child?" You know. Well, yeah, this was not like I just you know in my twenties I flipped the, on the, the devils. The devils, the devils were only were eighty two anyway, right? They started in eighty two. Yeah, they moved from Colorado to. The, so that's a, so he would have only been yeah. with them two years. Yeah. yeah. But you're a dyed in the wool Penguins fan, right? Oh God, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first uh, the the first sweater I ever got was the Christmas sweater, the Devils one. And I still think to this day, I just have a deep affection for that jersey. But um, I I absolutely love the Penguins. I mean, y- you look at what they've done in terms of the draft with Lemieux, then you get Yager, and then you get Crosby and Malkin and Flurry. It just like the hits just just keep coming. I mean, there were certainly the dark days, but 
but to have like two like iconic Hall of Famers within 10 years of each other um, and knowing that Lemieux and Crosby played the same line his rookie year, it, it's still like people forget that. It, it, it's weird to, to see Lemieux pass the torch to him that way. Um, we had a conversation a little earlier before we jumped on with you about uh, Brian Quinn. Uh, uh, he Brian, yeah, it's he's he's this guy. He's on this show. Anyway, he uh, he interviewed Scott Gomez, and oh, uh, nice. And Walt feels that it was uh, an honor that should not have been bestowed on Q because Q doesn't know that much about hockey. But I mean, I watch hockey. I enjoy hockey, but not enough. Not enough for Walt. I, look, it's 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 definitely the best sport to see live. That's what everybody says, right? And once you've played it, even I think just once, you have a deep respect for it with all the padding, how fast it is, and knowing that the fourth line guy usually, you know, the traditionally the stereotype was that they're they're the bruisers, but they actually are still better than anybody that's the best in their beer league. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just the talent in the NHL. And plus, I, I think hockey players by nature are, are the most laid back and kind of cool to hang with. Have you ever hung with any hockey players? Well, I don't like the way you said that, but I'll answer the question. Um, <laughs> well, you said like they're the best to hang out with, though. How I mean, you could only make that statement if you have hung with somebody, right? Well, when I was in Chicago, <laughs> I lived in Chicago for a little bit, uh, a blip on the radar. Became a Blackhawks fan, apparently, right? <laughs> when you lived there? It's won the cup. And Dave Boland, <laughs> Dave Boland is a great friend of mine, and we – Went out quite a few nights. Our, one of my favorite Dave Boland stories is I, I think it's such a great tradition in hockey that each player gets the Stanley Cup for a day. And all the other trophies, I think, look like sales trophies. The Stanley Cup looks like an actual trophy you would win in a sport. Like the the football one, it looks like somebody would get that at Merrill Lynch for selling the most homes in January. Like the cup looks glorious. And the fact that you get to take this around your hometown or wherever you live, and Dave took it out in Chicago, and the president of the Rocky Wars of the Blackhawks called Dave Person and said, look, you're the only Blackhawk that still lives here this summer. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Dave, do not take that cup to Wrigley Field. Flash forward, <laughs> like, you know, it's like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Rocky's watching the Cubs game. And Dave technically didn't take it to Wrigley. He was on one of the rooftop bars across the street. <laughs> And he was holding up the cup, and all of Wrigley stopped and watched Dave. And then people <laughs> left the stadium, Wrigley, Wrigley Field, and went over to this thing. And Dave had to call for police escort out of Wrigleyville because he caused such chaos and mayhem. <laughs> and he actually, he actually almost, um, he almost lost the cup because he lives in a brownstone in Chicago next to another brownstone. And him and I believe Ben Eager were on the roof holding the cup, just chugging beer or whatever. And Dave, you know, did a primal scream and dropped it. And the cup got wedged between his brownstone and the other brownstone. <laughs> so they had to, like, wedge it out and get the scuffs off and everything. But uh, I've always thought there's such a great movie to be made about that. And I, I heard Melissa McCarthy was thinking of doing a, a film. And I was so excited to see it. But I, I, I don't think it ever made its way to... To getting made. Hmm. Uh, are you guys Devils fans then? Hardcore? One of us is. Walt is. <sighs> I got it. I got it. Q I says mean, how is. is that? How is that for you to have, like, literally one of the greatest goaltenders in the sport 
eight miles away from the New York border and never get the accolades that that King Henry does. But Brodeur celebrates in a parking lot and had the Rangers one with with King Henry ticker tape parade. He then. Yeah, exactly. That's the yeah, fucking key word there, Bob. What's his name? Steve. Steve. <laughs> uh, if that <laughs> Willie, <laughs> Willie, let's not have this argument. <laughs> <laughs> when Brodeur goes to bed at night, he's got the fucking the, the well. So does King Henrik. He has a fucking gold medal, but he doesn't have three fucking Stanley Cup rings, though. So That's all those accolades are worthless. The Devils did it. The Devils had an amazing run. And I always thought it was just so pathetic that there's no – you couldn't take it to AC. You couldn't take it to, like, Trenton. They, didn't, like, they yeah. didn't care, man. Bring it to the people right there who fucking were there in the arena. Homie. Parking lot celebration is homie. <laughs> okay, okay. You know what? I, I, I don't want to go out on the fucking dangerous streets of fucking some inner city. Keep, keep me in the safety of a parking lot, bitch. You're talking to white it bread. Fucking hilarious. The Devils are like, catch Martin Brodeur and the Devils. Show off the Stanley Cup in Parsippany this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I love the parking lot celebrations. I went to, I went to two of them. Yeah. And uh, I went with Brian. Brian yeah. came up with me, and uh, one of the greatest nights of my life was at the uh, parking lot celebration. We didn't need to be at the at, in Heroes Canyon. What's it called? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. You know, fuck that. We we got we kept it fucking nice and quiet and mm. just intimate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, who who wants to be anointed with astronauts and and the Yankees and like veterans after after D Day? It's like fuck it. Let's go where Ricky got a hand job in '88. Did you guys watch that Action Park doc? I did. I watched. What did you think of that? I thought it got a, a hair repetitive after a little yeah. while, but it was accurate as hell from what I remember going up there. It's funny because growing up, I remember asking because you see all those commercials all the time, like it was Carvel or Action Park. And I remember asking my dad, can I go to Action Park? And I remember it was one of the few times he was just adamant, like, hell no, hell no. We'll go to Great Adventure, but we ain't going to Action Park. And I never realized until like I got older and then I saw the thing. And I, I sent the trailer to my dad. He's like, that's why. Yeah, that's why we didn't go. Yeah, I don't think my parents knew the reputation that it had. And uh, it, it was correct. I got hurt on two separate uh, things while I was there. The, the Alpine slide, I flew off and burned up my leg. And uh, they had this, this ATV thing where you could just take a four-wheeler. And I was like 14 <laughs> at the time. And they're like, what, well, what's your license number? And I just wrote down a random number. They're like, all right, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately I mean, crashed the, into these reeds. <laughs> that was the tough thing about that doc, right? If you've seen it, that that it's hilarious to think that there's no engineers designing anything. They're just throwing kids out there. There's <laughs> beer parties going on. The kids that work there are drunk or high. And it's all <laughs> fucking hilarious until, like, they get to the deaths, right? And that one family, you're just like, all right, now I feel bad watching this. And, you know, it was just kind of like it, it was a little bittersweet, I guess, right? It was because you, you think back to the to the 80s as sort of a more of a Wild West atmosphere. Like, I mean, it couldn't be more different from today. But that's not true. There's There was that... There was a child that got beheaded on the world's biggest fucking water slide, remember? Or yeah, I, th I think that was an isolated incident, though, where it's like actually part of it was matter. like they had their own EMS squad there. <laughs> but, yeah, but nobody was beheaded in Action Park, were they? 
No, I don't think so. But a lot of people got hurt and uh, several people died, M- mostly drowning, right? If I remember correctly. Well, there's, Walter, there's no difference between being beheaded or dead. Like, they're both dead. <laughs> yeah, but there's something like, more grisly and there's something more like in terms of urban legends. Like, yeah. you, you know, did you ever hear of a dry drowning? I've never heard of that. It sounds like some you'd get in Bangkok, but uh, what is that? <laughs> no, it's like when you drink too much uh, pool water or water, like you're, you're out swimming and too much gets in your lungs and you don't realize it and you go to sleep and oh, you shit. drown in your sleep. It's the most boring kind of drowning ever. There's no flailing. <laughs> yeah, but that, there's no excitement. The nearest water park to my house is just like five minutes away in Kingsburg. Mm-hmm. Uh, a kid from New York was on a school trip, went to the, went to the water park. That night had a dry drowning. See, it's not just Action Park's fault. It happens all over the place. So, I mean, it it still happens to this day. They're dangerous places. Yeah. No one should be going there. (laughs) Let's close that shit down, too. I'm telling you, everybody, let's just fucking hang in the parking lot. Amusement park rides and all that bullshit. Uh, Get some 40s. So, I, I met, we met in Vegas, right? I believe you and I. We were at a. I believe we met in Vegas. Yeah, yes. we were at a joint event, and uh, it was. It, it, Steve is instantly likable. Uh, I say right. He he is one of the most charismatic people you can meet in person. He's just you like him immediately. Right, immediately. Now that on big, TV, not so much, but in person, <laughs> that's where I shine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it begs the question: Do you have any haters? Because we have haters. Ooh. I don't know why, but you. I don't. until you met steve (laughs) i don't know i mean obviously youtube's a vicious place right uh you post anything on youtube you'll see some vile vile things um i think if i get anything it's the fact that i'm very comfortable talking about race and i've always had the creed of sammy davis jr right the minute they stop making funny is the minute they stop caring about you and i just I, i think growing up on east coast you know, blue collar city like Pittsburgh and started stand up in New York City. I've always felt comfortable talking about race. And these days it's not something that's, I guess, socially acceptable, but I feel very comfortable doing it. And I like kind of pushing the envelope. And I do get some blowback from that for sure. But I think that if people understood, you know, my general theme uh, of just making fun of everybody under the banner of a flag, I, I would hope that they could understand that. But when you see isolated jokes, they just take it one way and go, oh, well, fuck it. He's misogynist or he hates black people or he hates Asians. And I'm like, OK, sure, whatever. But I think that's probably the only flack I get um, is kind of online, maybe. Has it started making you nervous for the uh, the state of comedy or do you think that like you'll you'll always be able to prosper and flourish in, in, in regardless of the uh, the climate because a lot of people man there's i mean there's some comics who, who just cannot say shit anymore like their whole act was was politically incorrect yeah i i, I think that's you know when you see that 70 percent of the country disagrees with cancel culture i think that the coastal elites will deem certain things to be you know, uh, acceptable or non-acceptable. But I think the minute you go outside of New York, L.A. and San Fran and crunch in the middle of the country, I think most people just don't give a fuck. They just want to pay their bills and take their kids and wife out on the weekend or vice versa. And they just want to relax and be able to pay the bills and keep the lights on. I think all the identity politics 
is something you'll see on the coasts that I, I just don't think most people give a fuck about. Uh, that's just my own two cents, given what I've seen out on the road and, and my own personal opinions. What do you guys think? Uh, I mean, from the, the shit that I've seen, like, it almost appears as if certain people go to a comedy club to be offended so that they can then turn around and yell at whoever is on stage for, like you said, being misogynistic or racist or homophobic or yeah. a number of things. Uh, I don't know. Walt. you're you're more of a – I would say you're more on the conservative edge as far as like do you, do you think it will bounce back – comedy in its form like i listen to jimmy norton all the time and he mm -hmm. he has such a great point where he's like okay i tell a joke that is offensive how is that different than a movie where somebody's like you know mississippi burning you know and, and somebody's playing this hardcore racist he's like what well, is was that difference? movie made though what does it matter though i mean because i'm, I'm, just, you know, well, I'm using mississippi uh, burning as an example but i mean it could be something you know very recently you know where somebody's going to play I think it a does. Nazi soldier. I think it does factor in. No, like I think there's some comedy movies that were made in the past that just would not be made today because oh, of the sure. climate. Yeah, I mean, you know, your uh, your Blazing Saddles, yeah. your Bad News Bears, all that shit. But that's the kind of thing where it's like, no, I don't see that ever coming back. But pre, like, you know, a couple of years ago, pre Harvey, it seems like. It would like you could tell jokes and you could be Legion of Skank type humor. You could be well. Here's here's a maybe you know just a different opinion here but i think the fact that you don't have mainstream comedies being made anymore right so i think we're all probably of the same generation where we we, we grew up watching stripes and ghostbusters and all those fun movies and ivan reitman and all those snl characters branching off and then you get into like the brat pack years of vince vaughn and will ferrell and ben stiller and owen wilson and then then you had the hangover right and The Hangover was like the last iconic communal comedy I remember seeing. And after that, I think the PC police just came down on things and mainstream comedies are fucking gone. They do not exist. And so what I think is replacing those is Bill Burr and Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer and all these comedians that are saying whatever the fuck they want. And I think that's the transference of of power in terms of the outlet of hearing those things or seeing those things that used to visually in film. Now you're hearing about them through the conduit of one individual, a stand-up comedian, as opposed to the wild days of just putting everything you want up on celluloid. And it just doesn't exist anymore. I think that's where people get in their fix now is in the comedy clubs. So I think stand-up potentially may have been bigger than at any point in our lives, in the history of stand-up comedy, because the clubs were packed, people were touring, theaters, buses. I've never seen so many comedians perform and have their own tour bus prior to COVID. I've, I've never seen anything like that before. So I think, I think that's, for me, my perspective. You know, I, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say on that. I, I like the idea of a, a bunch of like-minded comedians being like, fuck it. Like, just fuck it. We're going to, like you said, we're going to say what we want to say. Uh, because the comedians that I like, like before COVID, I used to go to the cellar a lot and, you know, see Bob Kelly and, and Jimmy and, sure. and all these guys. And the stuff they say is funny, but it's not overly offensive. They're not, you know, it's, it's depending on who you are. You know, somebody sure. makes a joke about an abortion. It's like, oh my God, I had an abortion once. So therefore you should not be able to joke about this. Um, yeah. You look at somebody like Norton. I mean, Norton is the most honest human being I've ever seen in comedy. He takes 
deep-seated like things that anybody else would be a secret to them. And he exhibits them publicly nightly on the stage. And the hardest thing to do is take the fact that you get blown by a tranny and thread <laughs> the needle and make it fucking hilarious. And he does such a great job at that with the honesty and the humor and threads it. And somebody like Norton who works there nightly, Keith Robinson, Bobby Kelly, et cetera. So you go down the line, a lot of the Voss, Florentine, some of these guys, you could say, you could find a housewife from Ohio that would come to the comedy cellar, drag there by their husband because they got to go to the cellar because Louie was there all the time on the show and they, and they go, and the cellar's been sold out every night for the last seven to 10 years. And it is a beacon of insults. It's an, a beacon <laughs> offense. But nobody's offended. And there's a reason people are going there because it's like this is the last vessel of free speech that exists in this world, in this country. It is called a comedy club. And the majority of America still appreciates and respects that. Again, I think you just have these coastal elites that are jamming down our throats this new acceptable way that we should be addressing each other. And it, 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 I, I just don't think it really exists. I just don't think it's real. Yeah, pushed by the media. Were you going to say something, Walt? No. Oh, okay. Thought but I was going to say, like, like com uh, comedians, there's no lack of people in the club saying whatever they want to say, right? It's not like they might not be getting – I mean, because to me, it's like certain comedians, like, they're never going to take Chappelle down, right? Like no, you said, Bill they Burr's, they, They're saying they, they tried. They're not going to take Bill Burr down. So it does seem like comedians have this bulletproof – some of them, but then other, like that kid that got hired to be on Senate Live and then just got fired like the next day. I guess you're just not big enough at that level to to sort of be like, hey, man, it's I'm a comedian. These are jokes. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think SNL traditionally has been a launching pad, right, for so many careers. Nobody knew who Will was beforehand and nobody knew who Forte or Tina Fey were before. They're not ready for primetime players, right? Uh, that's the adage with them. And they, they've kept that mantra the whole run. So I agree with that. I think that Shane Gillis got the short end of the stick on that. And I'm Asian American. I'm somebody that should be offended by that, but I'm not because I understand when you're on a podcast that you're saying things that traditionally you would not say in a real conversation. I think he's a comedian. He's under the prism of attempting humor. And I appreciate and respect that as a comedian. Whereas I think that there's a lot of people that don't have that professional perspective and they just hear chink, chink, chink. And they go, this is offensive. This guy really means it. I don't think anything Shane said that day was out of hate or or the feeling that his race is superior to anybody else's. I think he was attempting to be funny. That's that that was my take on it. And I really don't. Any Anytime somebody gets cast on SNL, there is people that these websites that will go through their Twitter feed and not find the 15 or 30 jokes that have thousands of likes. They'll find the one thing that could be deemed offensive and shine a spotlight on that. And I think it's, it, it says so much about the nature of where we are these days, that they're going to focus on the negativity as opposed to all the wonderful jokes that those young comedians possibly have written. Yeah, and so much so that people want to, I mean, until CK shut it down, they, they want to go into a uh, a comedy club, record shit that people are working on, put it out there, and then out of context, just slam them and, and try to end careers. People really want to see other people not work, as if not enough people are working already. That That's my biggest problem with it. And I think you, you said it correctly. They're trying to cancel everything. And, and I think cancel culture 
on itself tells you everything in how they call themselves, identify themselves, cancel culture. They're there to destroy. They're there to ruin and destroy and, and eradicate. And they're not doing anything to replicate it or replace it or substitute it. That's my big issue with cancel culture. It's like, if you're going to say, well, there's no room for that. Okay, well, what's the fix? What's the solution? Hmm. But to me, there's never been a solution. So until there is, fuck off. Like, <laughs> we're able to grab the mic and say whatever the fuck we want from 8 o'clock till 2 in the morning in the village at the cellar. And there's a reason it's sold out every night. So I, I just, I don't agree with it. I, I, I'm completely against it. And it makes me sick to my stomach. And I thought that I'm, I'm very apolitical, okay? There are things on both sides I like. I don't think Obama's the wonderful beacon of hope that everybody makes him out to be. And I don't think Trump is as evil as they make him out to be, right? I, I think that there are, they're fallible both in their own right, and everybody has an Achilles heel, and sometimes, you know, the price digs up and, 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 and massacres these people. But I think in terms of politics, I, I think that the, the right has been, has been deemed racist, right? If you're conservative or whatever, or you vote for conservatives, you're you're racist. And I, I saw Trump do something in his RNC speech, which, which I thought, given the optics of everything, I was like, that's a that's a pretty smart strategy. And what he did was he he tethered the left with cancel culture and and socialism, which I had not seen anybody really do in a mainstream kind of way. And so now I think you're you're seeing the left really, really being associated with that that cancel culture movement and i think that people in the midwest and the bible belt and everything else will so associate coastal elites with that especially and, and the democrats which i thought was a pretty fascinating thing from somebody who's i, I would consider myself a moderate do you uh, all this stuff because because the movie that that you made is about stand-up comedy right like do you address all this in the movie no, I'll tell you something that's scary about the film, okay, is that, okay, so to back up, I, I did write a film that is my love letter to stand-up comedy. It, it, it compresses all the experiences a person could have their very first time on the road in four days in the film, and you're exposed to the three echelons of a stand-up comedian. You're either an MC, a feature, or a headliner, and I thought, well, I want, I want to write the best film that's ever been done about stand-up comedy. And that was my goal. And you might as well be a fish out of water and see it through the, the eyes of the MC. And that's what I set out to do. So when we were casting this, I was thinking about the politics of it all. I was thinking about Huffington Post and them slamming me for something and deriding the film before they even saw it. Because when we were casting this, traditionally speaking, the MC is the new kid on the block. They're fresh to the party. They have no idea what's going on. The feature act is like the guy you meet your first day in prison that's showing you the ropes, right? And then the headliner is kind of like the warden. So he, he's got it all wired for sound. And so when you're casting the feature act, he wants to go out, he wants to party afterwards. And there was a moment in time when we were talking about different casting options. I said, I'm telling you right now, you cannot cast a white kid as the MC and a white established comic as the feature and cast a black guy, quote unquote, for diversity as the feature act. Because people are going to see this and they're going to say, oh, so you make the black guy the one that wants to party and doesn't take his job seriously. And I was like, it's going to happen. Somebody's going to say it and I want to avoid it. And like, it's so fucking sad that 
I could have had a really talented black actor portray that character. But given the state of everything with political correctness, I couldn't go that way because I knew that the headwinds were going to come for me uh, with all those people that are extremely progressive. So um, there, that's where I was a little more nervous about the politics of, of the film and it, more so in the casting. So a black guy lost a job because of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, fortunately for us, we had Cedric the Entertainer play the headliner. So that just kind of like <laughs> made things a lot easier, not only in terms of, of the fact that you have to have a diverse cast these days, but we did kind of cast it via our friends. So I never felt like we were jamming somebody in there just to jam it in there. It was through osmosis. It was a natural process. And I think that the, the film, when you see the poster, this other poster we're doing, it, it will be more reflective of, of the nature of stand-up comedy, which is, you know, you have people from all different walks of life um, being the conduit of, of humor. You have some big names in here. You get, like you said, you have Cedric, you have Wendy, uh, Whitney Cummings, Ken Jeong, uh, Neil Brennan, Bill Burr, Tom Segura, Roy Wood Jr. I mean, this is uh, this is some cast, huh, Q? A who's who? A who's who of uh, a who's comedy. who? It was it was a lot of fun to. I think the casting director. I, I don't even know why they got a fucking check. I should have gotten paid for this. <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> did you? The whole thing. Did you not like the to not include a stand up? Like Sal Volcano, is that a, is that a statement on what you think of his stand up skills? I've seen Sal, and the fact that he's not on the poster speaks for itself. Next question. Um, no, I'll tell you, Sal is somebody. When I heard he was doing it, right, I was like, "Well, good for him." I, I, I think anybody that's that's got that, you know, I, I had some conversations with him prior to about encouraging him to go to the store, you know. I think there are a lot of people that want to do it. And then Sal was one of those that actually took the initiative, did it. And not only did it, never took his status for granted. Like he was going to the open mics. He was, he was, yeah. he's dirt underneath his fingernails is what is, is the way I'll say it. And I really respect the fact that Sal never, never, never thought I should just go to the cellar because I'm on practical jokers. He really waited his time yeah, out. He, he, he got invited and he said, I, I don't think I'm, I'm ready yet. He actually put it off. He put it of off. And then, then I'd seen him and I was like, dude, you're totally fucking ready. He's got that. He, he's just got a natural, he's got that natural stage presence where yeah. it's important in comedy, where you, you see somebody within two minutes, you know, I'd spend 45 minutes with this guy. Yeah. I'd get two or three beers and listen to him for 45 minutes for sure. Yeah, he, he's, he's he's really good. He's a natural. Man. He's a natural. But he did he did mention you as an inspiration early on because that's right. When he was going every night and like we would we would be <laughs> shooting all day and he'd be like, all right, I gotta go do three spots. And he did it four or five times a week. I was like, dude, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> and he would tell me the story about when you were getting started and how like you were you had like the longest streak of going up every night. Uh, and he was like, that's what I got to do. He goes, I, I got to do that. If I want to do this, if I want to take it for real. So, you know, well, you well, did. I, I will say this, that I, as much as I appreciate hearing that there are a few things I've taken along the way in my life where I heard things along the way that get burned in the hard drive and stay with me. And when I was trying to write this film, there were things that I was writing. And I remember watching the star Wars doc. And George Lucas would disseminate to his ILM crew, like, this is what I want. And they go, yeah, yeah, of course, George, we'll do that. And he'd leave the room. They go, 
we have no idea how we're going to do this, right? <laughs> but that's like everything you want to hear with a team you're working with. You want to hear, yeah, we'll figure it out. Because the minute somebody goes, eh, I don't know, it's like, well, you're never going to do it. But if somebody says, yeah, I'm going to fucking figure that out, then all of a sudden magic's made, right? So mm-hmm. I always thought, don't ever prevent yourself from thinking, why not? And then another thing, when I toured with the Impractical Jokers and seeing the nonstop access that you would you guys would individually give or the graciousness it's like that's why the show is popular but i remember i was talking to joe we were like going to scotland or something i was on top Mm. of the bus and he was talking to me about the lack of like i guess anointment from the industry to say welcome to the club you know it's always been like i remember talking you guys should be on the cover of rolling stone like oh yeah, we we arenas. we never get we never get any we 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 never get any notice like that, which is just it just to me it seems natural that we don't though. I like it's <laughs> I I think I'm more insulted by it than you guys are, and I was I was just fucking furious about it because I'm like, look at what you guys are doing, look at what you're accomplishing. Like, you know, there's so few people that can fill a fucking arena, and then when your movie came out, you're not getting invited. Again, to the talk shows. I think you guys got to do Kimmel, right? Yeah, we got to do and, Kimmel. And it's like, uh, what the fuck? What more do you need to do? And then you guys are branching <laughs> well, he off. Did, he did different... get Scotty Gomez. <laughs> you got Scotty Gomez. I mean, you're, you're, you're all dividing into four different time, time zones across the country, going to these screenings, like doing everything you can to make sure that the film – the brand spreading spreading corona with. all over the country no <laughs> doubt <laughs> you guys are doing it all yeah. on your own and it's like if you cannot be inspired by that i don't know what you what you can be inspired by that to me was like i, I don't ah, know thanks, just seeing dude. that like i i really I, I don't know to be honest with you I, I i went i was going on box office mojo looking up the screen per average that weekend and seeing you guys made the top 10, but then your per average, I think, was the best of anybody's yeah. that weekend that it came out. I was like, how the fuck? Uh, <laughs> they, they should all be partitioning off, doing their own deals and like anoint. Like, what more do you want? Like, it makes me fucking angry. Nah, it's all right. I like where we're at. I, I do. I, I enjoy the, the slow climb to nothing. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? I, like, you've had success people dream of. Like yeah. everybody that's, that is anointed that dreams of doing what you're doing. And I think that's the, that's the catch 22 on their end, but that's the catch 22 on your end is that you have everything everybody ever dreams of, but it's just maybe not getting that fucking award. But at the end of the day, nobody fucking remembers who won that oh, award. Oh, it wouldn't, that wouldn't, that that's shit. not even a consideration. It's so more important to me that we get to do what we want and we largely just get to do whatever we want. And I don't think, yeah. and I think that's because of our undercover fucking status. So I'm, I'm grateful for it. I, I'm, I'd be hesitant to give it up. You, yeah, uh, I, I, I just wanted to to put that out there, how inspired I was ah, by thanks, that bud. and how, you know, in, in terms of even promoting this film coming up that I have, I'm just like, I, I was telling my, I was telling my wife, like, look what they did. You know, I was in, I think Texas or something. And I, I, I announced I was going to the screening and Joe texted me back. He's like, buy, buy, buy snacks for everybody. I was like, <laughs> yeah. okay. And then I bought snacks for everybody. We made some videos and it made the viewing even that more communal. And I just thought the whole, 
I don't know. The vibe you guys always give off is positive. Uh, the, the show and the film are positive. My eight-year-old and my, my five-year-old have watched the film, you know, minus the Murray going to the strip club part, which my wife always <laughs> makes me fast forward. They watch it. And it, it's just like, that's, that's what it's about. Like, these kids get it. I get it. Like, any age can get it. I, I don't know. I just derive a lot of in, in, inspiration from it, not to kiss anybody's ass whatever but i, I really I, Thanks, I don't man. know I, I i'm just fucking pissed that that you guys are not as i'm not trying to say diminish your success no uh, no no i, I, I hope I, you know what i'm saying I, I don't i don't i think that uh a lot of people uh think that but i think that's i i see it as a positive but that's, that's I, I, cool. I i was talking to kumail from uh kunal nair yeah from from big bang theory and he was telling me like they were never even considered for an Emmy until like their fifth or sixth year. Like they were, they were just another sitcom. And that's like a dirty word in Hollywood is, is a sitcom. You're not a, you're not a single cam like 30 rock or uh -huh. parks and rec. And that's those who get the awards. But then when you become an undeniable, it's like, how can you not acknowledge these guys? And when I saw variety do that big hitters of comedy this past week, and you guys were in the variety piece I was so fucking happy for you because I was like, that to me was like, all right, now they're undeniable. Now they got to the point where they have to fucking acknowledge them. Oh, wow. I, and didn't, I didn't even read that. That's nice. <laughs> that's why I was driving to towards in, in this and they were showing off, showcasing off, you know, Sebastian Maniscalco and Bill Burr and the Impractical Jokers. I was like, yeah, it's about fucking time. Oh, thanks, Boone. You, uh, yeah. you toured with these guys. Do you have any dirt on the IJ guys? <laughs> yeah. Like the only dirt i have is um no there's no real dirt it's like no dirt. there's just no dirt i, I was there's... actually curious to see what you came up with in even as a joke and a, there's just we no, do things I like couldn't... we go to like the titanic museum and shit like that yeah. like be it steve just wander around like talk about how sad it was people died 100 years ago like there's very there's, there's cer fun. certain nights that that get uh but that's just us being dickheads drinking alcohol and we don't even talk to anybody but ourselves <laughs> it's fun I, I, I don't have anything bad to say I think like when you tour you expect a fight uh, uh, a dust up uh, due to the fact that everybody's together on a bus whatever I, there was just no friction and to be honest with you it was a fucking joy like I had nothing but a great it was almost like it was a vacation yeah. I didn't feel like I was ever working at all because on any given day like you said we could go see the Titanic Museum or Sal wants to go shopping or Joe wants to get a nice meal. It's like, there's always something to do with somebody. I, I had a fucking blast. Yeah. Those are some of the best times I ever had professionally touring that and USO tours. I never had a better time. That's cool, man. I feel the same way. It's, it's fun touring with you. Yeah. How did you like that? You guys like Jameson. It was like, even better. <laughs> <laughs> how were the USO things? I was reading about that. And, uh, I mean that's a that's a trip, and that's I don't, to me it's I would just be like it seems dangerous going to Afghanistan. Um, the first one I did was the most scared I've ever been. It was '04, um, height of Iraq War. My brother was stationed at Camp Victory North, and Colin Quinn knew that and asked me if I'd I'd go. And I, I was beyond honored not only to work with Colin because I I respect him so much. Bobby Kelly not as much, but, um, <laughs> but we, we all went over and. There were two incidents that, looking back now, it's like, wow, my God. We were in a C-130, one of those big cargo planes you see like in Con Air. And due to the fact that we were USO and there were so few things going on, 
we would we would we were the cargo that was it so i don't know how much it costs to take a c-130 from point a to point b but it can't be cheap right so we're going to the from one base to the other our liaison colin quinn bobby kelly and myself were in the back of the c-130 it, it's basically like sitting in a fucking warehouse empty strapped in and it's cavernous and it's it's wild and you're flying up and so the pilots come back and say hey we got room for two of you you want to sit in the cockpit yeah of course so colin points to me goes burn let's go so we sit in the back of the cockpit and we don't have headsets on and we're just taking off and there's this big bay window like the millennium falcon it was really cool and you're taking off on ascension and i see fireworks going off i go oh, that's fucking cool man and i and in my fucking like you know egotistical mind i'm going oh they're, they're shooting off fireworks <laughs> as like a, a, a goodbye, <laughs> like they're celebrating us. That's what I thought. And finally, as we get to um, our, our, our flight height, like our, our, our flying uh, you know, altitude, we get a headset. And so Colin Quinn gets on, he goes, hey, what, what were the fireworks about? And the guy goes, those were RPG flares. <laughs> oh uh, my God. <laughs> because an RPG was shot at uh, a rocket was being shot at our plane. Oh my we don't God. have to worry because they have such bad aim and these flares will take the rocket away from us. <laughs> and I was fucking white as a ghost. My jaw dropped. Colin looked at me and goes, How great would it have been to know that we knew? why we were going to die. We would be together, but Bobby Kelly's in the fucking back by himself. He's so confused, like, why am I dying? <laughs> and the other time I was really scared was we went to this, um, just kind of like this bombed out area of the city in Baghdad, and it was like this little square, and there's these four buildings. I mean, it was fucking bombed out. And there are snipers up on the roof and below it is a tractor trailer with a flatbed and speakers on it. That's our stage. And there was a bunch of folding chairs. And I, I, I go to the liaison. I go, hey, what are those snipers up there for? He goes, those snipers are there looking at those snipers on the other side. <laughs> I go, you mean like our snipers? He's like, no, like the insurgent snipers. I'm like, why? <laughs> like, shouldn't we be inside? Like, why the fuck are we doing this? <laughs> and I was the first one up that day. And I thought, well, if I fucking die, it's probably right because these jokes are shit. The stage is shit. And this is the worst experience I've ever had doing stand up. So I might as well fucking just get one in the head. Um, and that was the most scared I've ever been doing stand up. But but that was those are great experiences because those men and women they're fucking bored of playing ping pong they're they're bored of playing playstation they've seen every movie known to man and they miss home and so you're providing just a brief semblance just a little microcosm of back home and we can address all the things that they can't really talk about maybe publicly in terms of like you know military time and all that other stuff so it, it, it's it's really some of the most rewarding shows i've ever done and even in touring to this day at least once every two or three weeks you'll meet somebody who's like oh i i, I came to your show in kandahar and you oh, don't wow. know what that meant and there are times where i could get emotional thinking about that that i remember we, i was with drew carey one time and this kid came up to me after the show he, he goes man thank you and he looked just he fucking looked out of it but he was thanking me i go you okay he goes yeah just 
crazy day. I go, what happened? He goes, he goes, I was in a firefight. We were pinned <laughs> oh down. My God. We were waiting for the next convoy to come to bail us out. And when the next convoy came, they bailed us out. We took one of our friends that got shot. He's going to be okay. We threw him in the back of the Humvee. We just came back to base. And as soon as I pull in, we hear laughter and I come over and for 40 minutes, I forgot about what just happened. And now I'm remembering what just happened. I'm like, that's (laughs) fucking crazy that we were able to like take him out of that situation for a moment before he could process it and maybe, maybe help subside the craziness he just saw. And that, that's the, that's the fucking USO show. You never know. Right. It's fucking nuts. That's a, it's an honorable thing to do too. I mean, you follow in the footsteps of like Bob Hope, yeah. Ola Falana, Martha Ray, <laughs> Martha Ray, Kid Rock, yeah. Toby Keith. <laughs> you know? I just heard yeah, was... on uh, Stern Show that Mark Harris died. Did he really? Yeah, two years ago, nobody knew he died in like total obscurity. Oh, poor Mark oh. Harris. Yeah, what a bummer. He was mm. always fucking hysterical on that show. So uh, I don't even think we said the name of the movie. It's the opening act. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it comes out on the 16th, right? Comes out on the 16th in theaters and VOD. Um, you know, one tagline I pitched to the production or the, the distribution company is you've been to a comedy club, but you've never been on the road. And that's really what the film's like. It's it's a fish out of water. It's a kid's very first time ever on the road. And it's the pursuit of a dream. And it happens to be stand-up comedy. So you're going to get all the inside baseball of it all and there are a few incidents that have occurred in the film where people are going to watch and go there's no way that fucking happened it's like oh it happened it happened to me (laughs) and i was scared out of my fucking mind oh um, wow it happened too i can't wait everything from his first night out going out after the show to the radio station to his next night out like those are all things that happen and we didn't put those in the trailer on purpose because we thought Hopefully enough people want it want some want a film about stand up and then they'll be exposed to like the roller coaster ride that comes with being on the road. Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. I I really like Jimmy O. Yang too. I mean I've only seen him in Silicon Valley, but that alone, that was enough for me to really yeah, dig funny. that dude. He's great. And I think one of the best compliments I got was slowly the comedians have gotten to see the film. Um everybody from Tom Score, Neil Brennan, Bill Burr, Cedric, Jimmy, um, we had one one private screening just with Cedric and Jimmy and Debbie Ryan. And then we had a the other guys have been working or didn't feel comfortable or whatever. So we let them watch it. And I keep getting the same text messages back from everybody, from Segura to Burr to Angela Johnson. It said, it, it's always the same two things. I loved it. And it's very authentic. You brought up so many horrible memories <laughs> that I may have to revisit my therapist. And, um, and it was great to be a part of uh, something fun and special. So, uh, you know, I hope that that does resonate with people. But Bill Burr paid Jimmy the best compliment. He, he just said, uh, he said, I, I was familiar with him, but he's, he's so rootable and so likable. And I was so happy for him at the end of the film. So that was nice yes, to hear from nice. somebody who, who's notoriously very honest. <laughs> <laughs> but Q, if, if I were to ask a question, like, how did you feel in the anticipation of like a feature film coming out. I mean, to go from the small screen to knowing you're, you're doing something that I, I think just, it's something you all dream about, right? You, you pack your bags, you go to the city. I mean, granted you guys didn't have to go too. you take a train, but 
but uh, to know that you had that that moment in time i i don't know i it was for me it was it's like everything else that i do man i just kind of underwhelm it for myself yeah um you know it was like I, I go into it i force myself into a place where where i'm like if it does well great if it doesn't do well what am i gonna do but to get into that sure. place i kind of got to sand off the edges a little bit if that makes sense were you I, you had to have been surprised with the results because those were, I, I think, exceeding anybody's expectations. Yeah, that was pretty insane. Like, like getting that in, but that what that made, which I didn't anticipate that this at all. Considering the movie had no marketing campaign, that they they didn't fucking push it at all. You know, all these things. Like, I, I felt real gratitude towards uh, fans of the show. That was the overwhelming thing. I was like, I, I was literally like, I cannot believe they came out for us like that. But that's, uh, this is like a testament to what I was talking about. Those numbers, I, I think they still would have been great. I think they would have been great. I think your audience would have shown up for you without a doubt. I don't think they would have been as excessive had you guys not taken your foot off the gas pedal. And if you guys chose to stay home and just take a victory lap, which you probably deserved, but you still fucking packed your bags, got on planes, did all that, and I think that's why Variety has to fucking acknowledge you this last week. It's like it's gotten to the point where it is undeniable. Great. Yeah. Don't deny it, Q. <laughs> I'm not denying it. It's nice. <laughs> I mean, it's nice to hear you say that. But you know what? I don't think about my own career at all. So so getting a perspective like that is is nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I know you spend your days on Sideshow looking at. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. I, you know, I know I follow my heart, man. And that's until like exactly, pop culture yeah. bit of bullshit. But uh, Walt just whispered to me that he doesn't want to talk to you anymore, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish you the best of luck with your movie, man. You seem like a really nice guy. I really hope it does well. Thank you, Walter. And best to the devils. I hope that you guys, with uh, your draft picks that you've had of recent, it sounded yeah. like on paper you guys had a fucking great team. I was like, shit, with PK and Taylor, they're going to yeah. they're gonna take over the East. I, to be honest with you, I was rooting for the devils. I thought that that's who was going to win the, the cup when you guys got the team on paper. But uh, sorry about that, bud. Man, there's always next year. You got a good future ahead of you, though. You, got, you got some good draft picks, yeah. From your lips to... The devil's ears. <laughs> That's right. From uh, G eight in the in the par- parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, October sixteenth, twenty twenty, select theaters. I'm assuming, since they're all select, select theaters, theaters yeah. these days. Yeah, who knows where where it's going to open and stuff. I think my folks will get to see it in Florida, you know, in a theater, and I'll be stuck here in California waiting for Governor Newsom to <laughs> to open everything up again. You know. Yeah. Crazy days. Uh, also, I'm going to say uh, while um, while we're talking about it, the uh, the documentary you made about the amazing Jonathan it is always uh, always amazing. It uh, it's yes. on YouTube and people should watch that. I watch that. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's really good. Thank you. Yeah, for free now, and uh, you know it's always been for free. But yeah, it's a it's a you know the the film was was a wonderful experience and. You know, knowing that I got to do something about a friend and somebody I look up to um, meant the world to me. But, you know, I got a text message over this quarantine and he said, um, thank you for making the film. Uh, Thank you for what you did for me and my career. And it's certainly the best film that's been made about me. <laughs> I was like, fuck, I'll take that. Thank you very much. So that, that, that felt very nice. I was just trying to remember how he, how he phrased it. But, um, 
but it was very nice to to see that because it, it was a little touch and go for a while there. Yeah. All right, Steve. Well, thank you for calling in. Good talking to you, buddy. It was really good talking to you. Love you, Q. I love love you, you, boys. Um, I really look forward to the next time we get to hang out and would love to just like literally, I, I really mean this. I'd love to, uh, I've been meaning to get to the East Coast. That's why I've been texting Sal a few times. But I really, like, I'm just flying out there to just hang. Like, I, I just want to catch up with you, with Sal, yeah. with Colin, and, and, and you, of course. And, like, all of us just, I'd love to just get a bottle of Jameson. Yeah, and hell just yeah. <laughs> sit at somebody's house, play some good tunes, and just bullshit and have a good time. Because it, it, it's just been too long. I, are you guys coping with it well? or? Yeah. You know, I settled into a good groove, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's all right. What are you going to do? Exactly. It is what it is, right? Well, I miss you fellas and can't wait to hang out with you guys. And thank you so much for taking the time to have me on. Hey, thank you for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Later, Steve. All right, boys. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. I love that guy. Steve Byrne, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, he's he's a great guy. I really like him a lot. Yeah. Uh, But before we go, Walt, a news story made me uh, think of buttholes. A New Jersey hypnotist was arrested after subjecting patients to illegal prostate exams. Oh, please don't tell me this is Marshall Manloff. That's like Mary Beth found this article. She goes, is this Marshall Manloff? I was like, unfortunately, no. Yeah, Robert Bruckner. Uh, Patients would visit him for a hypnotherapy session and he would perform the exams, I guess. Well, it says it's unclear if the patients were under hypnosis during the exams. I would assume so. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So he was a a proctologist who practiced hypnosis to – no, I think Quick. he was a hypnotist that practiced <laughs> proctology. <laughs> uh, yeah, it says he's not a licensed doctor and he owns major mindset hypnosis counseling. He offers services to adults, teens, and children. The investigation was launched after patients went to police and described their visits. So hypnosis must be real then because – Well, we saw it with Ming. I mean, yeah. obviously. He, 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 I mean – Two seconds more and he would have Q's finger up his ass. <laughs> Wait, I'm putting my finger up his ass? No, he's putting his finger up your ass. Uh, he was arrested and charged with sexual assault, endangering the welfare of a child oh, no. and practicing oh, medicine without a children? license. I guess he was oh, doing it to God. a couple different people. But like, yeah, it's for he some reason it's just too like, far, man. Uh, you really? You're going to stick your finger up a kid's ass? Yeah, <laughs> man. What kind of guy are you? So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's too sleepy to say, tell him. Oh, Steve. oh sorry. Uh, <laughs> tell him, Steve, Dave. <laughs>